This is E2B, Energy to Business, a podcast by Opportune, where we bring you in-house expertise that serves all energy sectors. We examine emerging financial and technology trends and provide a broad perspective on ways to stay ahead, create opportunities, and execute market strategies. Hello and welcome to E2B, Energy to Business, a podcast from Opportune. I'm Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me today. On this episode, we're talking about energy private equity valuation in a COVID-19 world. And we have two experts joining the podcast today to share their insights and expertise in this area. First, we have Kevin Cannon, director at Opportune. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And then we also have Paul Lagudis. He's a managing director at Opportune. Paul, thank you for being here as well. Yeah, thank you. Excellent. Excellent. So private equity investment valuation is a topic that's been receiving more and more attention amongst oversight and regulatory bodies over the last several years. Uh, so why is that the case? Let's start off there. Just why why is this particular area receiving more attention than maybe it was in the past? Sure. And you know, I think the big, big part of why it's getting more attention than in the past is because there's just been so much growth in PE investment, both in the U.S. and worldwide over the last several years. Um, private market assets under management increased by more than 10%, as an example, in 2019, and uh, to around $4 trillion worldwide. So it's a huge market. And that number has almost tripled here over the past 10 years. And so there's just been a lot more you know, private equity type investment happening um, here over the, over the past decade or so. And so with more investment happening, more investors getting involved, there's been a lot more focus on the types of disclosures that PE firms require, the auditing of PE firms, and just greater transparency. That's kind of a buzzword, making sure that valuation, you know, valuation inputs and assumptions are all very well developed. Absolutely. So what are the ramifications of this increased scrutiny, this increased attention that this subject is getting for fund valuation managers and third-party valuation providers? Are there, are there pitfalls to avoid when dealing with energy private equity investment valuations? And, uh, and, and what's basically the, uh, the result of this increased scrutiny and, and things that, that people should know about it on this side of the equation? Well, I think, uh, you know, like, like with most other things, when, you're, when you talk about increased scrutiny, you know, obviously that means that that there's increased documentation requirements and an increased amount of work involved. And, you know, the, I guess the extent of which ultimately that comes out of this uh, is it really depends on how the industry regulates itself. So if funds and third-party valuation providers, you know, provide valuation analyses and opinions that are, you know, more reflective of current market conditions, you know, there's, there's probably going to be fewer rules that ultimately come out. But if, you know, as, as regulators are, are digging into these valuations more, they see that the valuations aren't maybe as down the middle of the fairway as they should be, then there's just going to be more and more increasing requirements. One of the things you mentioned is just uh, giving special uh, consideration to certain inputs when when uh, when evaluating these energy private equity valuations. And so which inputs should be given special consideration to make sure they have the right amount or kinds of supporting documents? Well, on the uh, when speaking specifically about energy, there there's several. And in this market environment, I think there there's a number of these that are going to be getting greater attention. One of these is the commodity pricing that's used whenever you're valuing oil and gas reserves. 
In the past, we've seen that a lot of fund managers may have trended toward, for example, the use of analyst pricing or investment banking analysts to develop their price curves, things like that. And what you typically see from auditors, for example, are they tend to stress the use of things like the NYMEX strip, pricing that's based on trading, actual trading levels in the market. And so I think that would be particularly true in a market like this where, um, you know, analyst pricing may not always exactly peg what's happening in the market or the market is changing very quickly. And you want to peg yourself to what the, you know, what the traders actually have to say about it. And so I think that would be one area that's going to get, you know, a lot of, you know, extra attention in this kind of environment is what kind of commodity pricing are fund managers using when they value their, their oil and gas PE investments. Some other things that I think would probably get extra added scrutiny in a, in a market like this would be production forecasts. It may be harder to get a handle on good production data, particularly when there have been so many changes in production this year. You've seen a number of shut-ins happening back during the spring that are just now starting to come online. What's going to happen with this extra production as it comes online? It can be difficult to say when things are just changing as quickly as they are. So I think that, you know, fund managers and portfolio company management for that matter will have to really give some thought to how they're developing you know, along with their engineers, their production forecasts when you're valuing, uh, when you're valuing oil and gas assets. Some other things that, you know, that tend to get a lot of attention over time and probably will continue in, uh, to be in this market would be risking adjustments, Things like whether you apply income taxes to your to your um, to your valuation analysis that you're doing on oil and gas assets, probably a lot more attention being paid to discount rates these days, because in a market like this where interest rates are falling um, or have fallen pretty quickly, if you just go through the motions of doing a discount rate calculation, you may come up with an answer, a discount rate answer that may actually be quite a bit lower than what you would have had a year ago. But when you think about what's happened in the market, that might not necessarily make sense. And so you may need to put a little bit more thought into how you're calculating the discount rate that you're using. Multiples being utilized. What asset classes are you looking at? All of these things, I think, are really going to get an extra added layer of attention, particularly in the upcoming audit season when we get to the end of 2020. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, Paul, I think one of the underlying things here that we've yet to really hit on specifically is the way that COVID-19 has further complicated things in this area. So talk me through the ramifications of COVID-19 and how that has also played a role in bringing us to where we are with the current market. Yeah, so I think primarily um, COVID-19, it's, it's been with respect to commodity prices. And uh, commodity prices, you know, are always, there's always volatility, right? You know, futures are traded every, every minute of every day that the markets are open. So there's always volatility. But in the current environment, in the COVID-19 environment, there's been a, a large amount of volatility. And on top of that, not just COVID-19, but there's also been tensions from between Russia and Saudi Arabia, kind of in the middle of it, that have caused even more volatility. So... You know, when, when there's when there's volatility or, or the degree of volatility that there is right now, it really you know make, makes the valuation process a little bit harder, right? And depending on too the the date that's chosen or that the valuation you know is required to be performed on, um, you know from one quarter to the next, or 
if a fund has something other than, you know, a 1231 year end and has a year end in the middle of the year, the date that the valuation is performed as of can have a great effect because of where commodity prices are that day. And, and you know, not just the spot, you know, price of, of commodities, but also the um, there's been so much movement in the forward curve that uh, valuations can have a, a big delta from one quarter to the next. So, Kevin, I feel like that leads us really nicely into to where I wanted to go next and the next question, which was how has the current market environment brought about challenges in using the market approach to value energy companies? Does does what Paul just said kind of also speak to that question as well? It does. And, you know, particularly in the COVID-19 environment, along with all of the other market forces that have been happening really over the past you know year or so leading up to the outbreak of the pandemic. What you see is that there just really wasn't as much deal activity happening, you know, particularly in the upstream sector of the energy industry. And so when you have fewer deals happening, that makes it a lot more difficult to use the you know, guideline transaction multiples, because if there aren't as many transactions, not as many multiples to use. And so in our experience, I mean, we've really had to take you know, a, a much closer look at those transactions that have happened fairly recently to see, well, what can we glean from those that might be applicable to our own situation, whatever it is that we happen to be valuing at that time. And that's thinking about the guideline transaction method. And then we also use the guideline public company method where we look at multiples of publicly traded companies. And those obviously have been very volatile and with market capitalizations being down, you know, that has had the impact of bringing some of these multiples down. And so what you have to ask yourself when you're doing these types of analyses is, is this representative of a normalized kind of multiple going forward? And so it, it really does cause you to have to think a lot more and dig a lot more into what is going into these multiples and is it representative of how you think things are looking going forward? It's made it a, a lot more challenging to use the market approach, particularly to, to value oil and gas assets in, in, a, in, a, in an environment like this. So one of the things that's that's true of both of you is that you've each had experience working on both sides of the audit review table. How has that experience really helped inform your knowledge of the situation and your expertise in this area? Yeah, since since really the uh, uh, regulatory scrutiny is, is really more from a kind of a reporting standpoint and financial reporting is, you know, having been on both sides of the tables, a lot of, a lot of appraisers that work on these types of valuations just do them. They haven't been in the position to have to review them and scrutinize them and support them, you know, to to the uh, to an audit team, for example, and you know, having sat on both sides of the table, you know, we we've had to scrutinize private equity valuations in the past. You know, we we know what questions the auditors are going to ask and the amount of documentation that they require in order to to support it as part of the audit. Kevin, uh, you also have experience on both sides of the table in these types of uh, in these types of situations. Is there anything you'd like to add to Paul's answer, just on uh, on what your experience kind of helps bring when it comes to this current market environment? Really, you know, most of the things that Paul you know touched on were that you know I think it kind of gives us a unique perspective on you know what auditors typically look for, and 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 I think helps you know helps us in our particular situation to be better advisors to our clients too. And, and to be able to give them the advice that they need to, you know, to navigate this process, which, as we're seeing now, probably is is only going to get, uh, you know, potentially a little bit tougher as we head into the next, you know, couple of audit seasons. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So a, a bit of recent news is that the SEC recently proposed an update to its rules and guidelines or and guidance on PE investment valuations, uh, which haven't been updated in over 50 years. So what impact would that have throughout the industry? Well, of course, when, when the SEC speaks, people listen. And the fact that they are, you know, that they have, have picked this point to update these rules that really haven't had a lot of attention you know, paid to them in a very long time, I think speaks volumes about where they think the, the PE industry overall is going and the interest that they feel that PE is continuing to attract. And so I, I think what this will do is, you know, continue to call attention to the fact that private equity and portfolio company boards have a fiduciary duty to their stakeholders, to the regulatory bodies that audit them, to provide all of these interested parties with the right information that they need to make informed decisions about where to invest their money. Because as we talked about earlier, the PE industry has attracted a lot of capital over the last several years. And the fact that they are you know, really making their voice heard on this, again, I think says a lot about you know, the importance that they think this holds because, you know, PE portfolio company growth has outpaced and sheer number has outpaced the number of publicly traded companies here in the U.S. over the last 10 years by quite a large margin. And so they obviously feel like there's going to be a lot more growth in, in this particular sector of the industry in the future. And so what that tells me is that there's going to continue to be a lot more attention paid to you know, valuations in this industry and in this part of the market. So, Kevin and Paul, before we wrap up today, I, I want to give each of you an opportunity to just provide a, uh, a summarization of what we've discussed today and uh, and some of the big points that you want people to walk away with and want people to learn from this podcast. And so, uh, Paul, uh, if, if we could start with you, um, is there anything that uh, that we haven't discussed yet that you'd like to uh, that you'd like to say, or any kind of summarization that you'd like to make just about uh, just about what you hope people glean from this podcast? Well, I think probably the, the one thing we haven't really discussed is, you know, when it comes to doing evaluation for financial reporting purposes, there's a certain amount of documentation that's required. And we touched on some of the, you know, what types of documentation may be required. But, you know, typically the portfolio companies, they have, you know, their investment managers doing the valuations and they're deal guys and, 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 they, and they know the assets backwards and forwards and, and they're very, very good at what they do. You know, when it, when it comes to supporting evaluation for financial reporting purposes, a lot of times there's kind of additional, you know, additional documentation that's required to support assumptions and that sort of thing. And, you know, when, when you don't really live in that world, sometimes it's a little challenging. So, you know, with, you know, talking to third parties or having a third party involved, there's certainly the opportunity to make sure that your views and your knowledge of the assets is covered. But also leveraging the third party's expertise on, on how to package it and get it ready, you know, to go before the auditors and eventually perhaps regulators. Kevin, is there anything uh, you want to add before we uh, wrap things up today? Anything we haven't touched on or, uh, or a summarization just of uh, the different points that you want people to walk away with today? I think we've covered a lot of, of, of ground and a lot of things that we wanted to talk about. And, and again, I would echo a lot of, of what Paul just said as well. There's, kind of very unique needs and unique requirements that the financial reporting process has. 
Um, and so those are important to keep in mind as you go through valuation process and then the audit review that comes after that. Excellent. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast today. Kevin Cannon, Director at Opportune, and Paul DeGudis, Managing Director at Opportune. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your insight into, uh, into this topic. Great. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. And everybody, thank you for joining us for this episode of E2B Energy to Business. We hope you enjoyed the thought leadership in the energy sector and in the oil and gas industry. We appreciate you listening very much. Of course, if you're not already subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, make sure you go subscribe now to stay up to date with uh, thought leading insights into the oil and gas industry. And of course, we'll be back soon with more episodes of the podcast. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening.